0: Isaac Lasky is going to bring the Word of God to us. Isaac is a servant of the Lord, serving in Bangkok, Thailand with Nams and his family. And he's been with us this week as we've had a global gathering of Nams leaders. And uh, he's going to open the Word of God to us. So let me pray. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit be given to Isaac to give him liberty in your spirit to open the Word of truth to us this day through this gospel passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I'm gonna sit down here. Thank you, John, and good morning, church. It's so good to be with you. Um, since John took over here and uh, for, for a season, and Patrick's been working here in Bangkok, we've been praying for you, um, and it's been wonderful to hear what the Lord's been doing in you and through you, and we're looking forward to more and more partnership together. Me and Patrick are talking about bringing the young people over to Bangkok for a mission trip in the next couple of years. Um, so that would be, that would be wonderful. Um, I've been in South Carolina a week now, and I've really been enjoying the southern hospitality. Um, it's been a little bit unusual for me, because sometimes I've gone to introduce myself to someone, and they said, oh, we know who you are, because you shared that I was coming to share this Sunday, but it's given me the feeling of being a bit of a celebrity, but uh, I think with the Southern hospitality, everyone feels like a celebrity when they come here, so loved and cared for. So, as you can tell from my accent, I am English, but I've been serving in Bangkok, Thailand, for, it would be eight years in October. Uh, Manic, who uh, shared here last week, he invited me. I said yes to two years, and during that time, I met my now wife, um, and I have a son called Samuel, who just turned two, and we're expecting our second son next month now, uh, beginning of June. So please do pray for us. I've got two main things that I do in NAMs, the New Anchor Missionary Society. I lead our Global Apprenticeship Program, which is all about training the next generation of disciple-making leaders, Um, so if you're interested in that, come and talk to me, come and serve. (laughs) There's no age limit in the kingdom. And I also lead a church called All Nations Bangkok, which Manik planted while he was in Bangkok and then handed over to me. We are such a diverse community. We have Thai university students, Nigerians, Kenyans, Pakistani refugees, um, I feel like I'm forgetting some, Canadians, uh, British people. But we don't have any Americans which, I mean, that, that's pretty glaring, really, isn't it? So if you're ever passing through or you wanna come and serve with us, uh, we, we would love to have some Americans with us. Now, there's something I, this is the first time that I've preached two services, and it's also the first time in maybe three, three and a half years, that I've preached without a translator because we have our services in English and Thai. So I've got in the habit of saying one sentence, pausing, looking to the right, and waiting. So if I do that, that's what's going on. Um, Just just pray for me, pray that I don't. (laughs) Yeah. So today I'm going to be sharing from the gospel reading, John 21, 1 to 14. And as I was preparing for this message, the first question that came to my mind was, This chapter's kind of a funny chapter. Like, why is it included? Because in John 20, you have so many explosive events. It it feels so climatic. You have the discovery of the empty tomb. You have Mary Madeline seeing the resurrected Jesus. You have Jesus appearing to his disciples. And then you have another appearance of Jesus to his disciples while doubting Thomas is with them. And then you get to the end of the chapter, verses 30 to 31, and it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That sounds kind of like an ending to me, kind of a a summing up. So... As I read this passage from John 21, the question I had was, why is this included? Why didn't John's account finish in chapter 20, verse 31? And then as I was studying and preparing, I was reminded that every miracle that John records is a sign. What's the job of a sign? To point to something greater. The miracle is always about something bigger, than just the act of compassion or grace to an individual or group, important though that is. Miracles are a sign pointing to something greater. Some examples of this. Think about the wedding at Cana in John chapter two where Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding. Now, I'm sure you remember in that culture to run out of wine at a wedding was a really big deal. Uh, you would be the talk of the town. They ran out of wine. You know That's not a good sign for their, their married life, really, is it? If they can't even organize a wedding and take care of all the wine. But Jesus performs a miracle. He turns water into wine. Um, it's, a, it's an act of compassion for them, but it's also a sign. It's pointing to something greater. If you read the story, you'll see that the water was poured into ceremonial washing jars, which they used at that time to make themselves clean before eating. But the water is turned into wine. Wine as we celebrate every week in communion is a symbol of Jesus' blood. So this miracle is a sign pointing, it's like a, a foreshadowing picture of how Jesus' blood shed on the cross would bring true purification to all who believe. That there was going to be a new covenant Far greater than the old. Think about the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6. It's a sign of what Jesus declares in verse 35 of that chapter I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Think about Lazarus being brought back to life in John 11. It's a sign of what Jesus declares in verses 25 to 26. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. All of these miracles are signs. Signs that are pointing to Jesus, who he is, what he will do. So this story is included because it is a miracle, but it's also a sign. A sign pointing to a crucial truth about Jesus and who he is that the disciples in that day needed to know and we need to know as disciples today. Now, John, in his account, he doesn't include the Great Commission or the final command, as we call it in NAMS, but it does teach us about how we will be effective in the mission to go and make disciples of all nations. This story is a crucial lesson about how we can live a life of great fruitfulness for God. So let's enter into this story. The sign happened by the Sea of Galilee, and it would have been a place full of vivid memories for the disciples. Do you have a place that whenever you go there, it's just associated with key events in your life? For me, there's this reservoir on the outskirts of Bangkok where whenever I go over there, it always takes me back to the day that I proposed to my wife. There's a street in Colchester, England, that whenever I go there, I remember my granddad taking me down there, giving me candy. Um, And we used to see the diggers building the houses. And whenever I go there, that's what I remember. The Sea of Galilee would have been a place like that for these disciples. Um, I imagine them fishing there in the night, remembering how in a terrifying storm. And you have to think, it must have been a really terrifying storm for professional fishermen to think they were going to die in it. But somehow Jesus is asleep in it. And they get upset and they're like, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind, he rebukes the waves, and then he says, why do you have so little faith? And they're filled with awe and amazement. And they think, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And I think as they were there on the Sea of Galilee, they would have remembered this truth. I think they also would have remembered when Jesus walked on the water, and even Peter did it um, temporarily until he lost focus, took his eyes off Jesus, and he needed to be rescued. But I think there would have been one really specific story that would have been on Peter's mind as he, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John and the anonymous two spent a long night fishing with nothing to show for it. Think about Luke chapter five verses one to two, the day when Jesus filled empty nets with fish and called Simon Peter and the sons of Zebedee to follow him and told them, you're not gonna be fishermen anymore, you're gonna be fishers of men. You are gonna be fishing for people. You can almost imagine how they've been out there all night, nothing to show for it, and they joke with each other, this really would be different if Jesus was here. This wouldn't be such hard work. We would have nets full of fish. But then what happens? There's a figure on the shore. They don't recognize who it is. He asks, friends, haven't you any fish? No, comes the honest answer. The mysterious stranger says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. In the night, they caught nothing. But in the morning, with Jesus, the catch is enormous. We can say that the difference between with and without Jesus' direction really is night and day. So these disciples who'd caught nothing all night suddenly have so many fish that they're unable to haul it in. Then John realizes who it is and he says to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter hears who... Peter hears this and he's off. He's jumped in the water. He's trying to get to Jesus as quickly as possible. The other disciples, they bring the fish in and they find that Jesus already has a fire going with some fish and bread on it. Jesus invites them to contribute some of their fish and they share breakfast together. There's a very important conversation that follows, but that's a a spoiler for next week. So um, we'll leave that. But imagine the awe and amazement of the disciples. Um, Jesus is alive. Jesus is resurrected. And we'll get onto exactly what he's teaching them now. What is this sign pointing to? This sign is pointing to the mission that Jesus has given them to be fishers of men, to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus is reminding them of the call back where it all began. But even more specifically than that, it's a foreshadowing of the incredible fruit that will be seen when they're clothed in power through the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. This group of ordinary men are going to preach, and they're going to see thousands baptized and repented in one day. And it's not going to stop there. Even though Jesus gives them a lot of fish in this miracle, they're going to be far more effective fishers of men than they ever were fishermen. But this is the key lesson. They did not have the strengths, the abilities, the techniques, the resources to do it in their own strength. To be truly fruitful, they had to depend on Jesus. Jesus is using this miracle to remind them of the truth that he taught them in John 15 verses four to five. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. They are the fishermen who can work all night and can't catch any fish. That must be a pretty humbling and sobering experience. This is a sign that without direction from Jesus, there will be no fruit. Without abiding in the word of Jesus and following his instruction, there will be no fruit. This is the truth that they needed to hear to be prepared for the fruit that God wanted to give them. And it's what we need to understand for us today as we think about how can we live fruitful, effective life for God and his mission. Unless we're abiding in him, following his word, being led by him, we won't be fruitful for him. We won't produce the fruit that God wants us to produce. God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be a fountain of blessing to our community. God doesn't want you to have no fish. The fruit God causes us to bear glorifies the Father. John 15, eight, Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus wants us to bear much fruit. He wants the transformation that we've experienced to be shared with others. But it will not happen and it cannot happen apart from him. We will only live a life of great fruitfulness for God if we're abiding in Jesus. So what does this look like practically? I want us to think about two questions. Number one, do we live our life dependent on divine direction? It's easy for us just to say yes. But if we're honest and reflect on the quality of our prayer life and the priority we give it, it may help us see more accurately Do I really live my life dependent on divine guidance? Do we submit all of the major decisions of our life to God? Do we begin each day listening to our Heavenly Father, expecting Him to guide us? When we encounter unexpected situations in the day, do we respond with prayer seeking divine direction? How is the quality of our prayer life? If we genuinely want to hear from the Lord where He wants us to be, He will tell us. I grew up in Colchester, England. I met Manik and John nine, ten years ago. They saw something they liked in me. I I, I still don't know really quite what it was. (laughs) But at that point, I was serving in a local church in Colchester, England, and I had one of my young people coming and doing work experience with me. And... His teacher was coming to visit the church that day, so I I put on a nice suit, um, and it was just after my birthday, and my dad had agreed to get me a second-hand bicycle for my birthday. And this was at a time where I had the invitation to go to Bangkok, but I was also experiencing a lot of fruit in the ministry in England. We were doing an amazing sports ministry with men who were in and out of prison, and it was wonderful, and I really didn't know where the Lord wanted me. I was talking with the local leadership, I was praying, I was reading my Bible, but the Lord gave me a confirmation that it's just, it's just crazy. I was cycling in the rain, and I'm not sure how winter is here, but in England, in the winter, in the rain you're cycling, your hands get really, really cold and painful. And I just joked with the Lord, I said, Lord, are you telling me that I should go to Bangkok? Because in Bangkok I'll still get wet, but I will never get cold. (laughs) And I was cycling along, cycling along, and I got to the church, and I got off this bike that I'd just picked up from the shop. And I looked at the brand of the bike, and the brand of the bike was Siam, which is the old name of Thailand, before it was called Thailand. And I got the goosebumps, you know? Like, this wasn't coincidence. Like, the Lord spoke to me through a bike. <laughs> so, if you're seeking the Lord for guidance, He will speak to you, He will tell you where to go. Another way we can see if we're truly following Jesus' direction is are we taking opportunities to share with Him, share about Him? with others, Um, are we responding to God's call to make disciples? Are we taking the opportunities he gives us? Because if we're really following his direction, we're gonna be where he is, with people who don't know him yet, with people who are lost, with people who are hurting. And it's our job to abide and be faithful. He will bring the fruit, he will bring the fish. We just have to listen to him, lower the net, and trust him. Question number one, do we live our life dependent on divine direction? Number two, are we open to Jesus changing how we do things? COVID brought us a whole load of change we weren't looking for, Um, but in the tragedy, the challenges and the heartache, God's worked in our community in Bangkok to really refine us, to really clarify our vision for us to start doing some new things, keep doing some things, and stop doing some things. So we're, we're a small church. We're around 20 to 30 people. As I said, lots of different nations. But because of the stage of life, we, depending how you look at it, we either lose about 30% of our <laughs> community or we send out 30% of our, uh, our, our congregation. I prefer the second one um, because they go back to where they're from, where they've got a job and things like that. And our vision is really to resource them and invest in them so wherever they go, they will be a disciple-making disciple there. We just meet in my house. We've got a small budget. There's a lot of challenges. But God is using a tiny community of normal ordinary people in an extraordinary way. Um, I can't remember if I already shared this, but Thailand is just under 70 million people. It's less than 1% Christian. So it is a massive mission field and there's been 200 years of Protestant mission there to get to that less than 1%. Um, But the Lord is using us. We're a tiny community that God's using in a great way. Non-Christians are hearing about Jesus for the first time and taking steps towards him. We have weekly outreaches. We've got our men's discipleship group, our women's discipleship group. We're training Thai leaders. And even though we're so small, we're even having impact on leaders at other churches and meeting with them and sharing the vision with them. You know, 20 to 30 people, we've got a vision for a city of eight million people. And we believe that God will use us and the other brothers and sisters that he's given us in our city in a mighty way to see his kingdom come, to see the net full. But it's involved painful periods of change for us to get there. After three years in Thailand, um, I think I felt a lot like the disciples felt after a night of fishing with nothing being caught. Kinda like, is it time? Is it time to go home? Um, Where's the fruit? Um, Where's the fish? But just at that moment, God opened a door for us to move from the outskirts of the city into the heart of the city. And now, it's incredible where we're placed. We're in the heart of a student dormitory. So we're life on life with the university students. We see the people that we're reaching and discipling every single day. And then people from outside are coming in as well. And please, I can't describe it. Come and visit us. (laughs) Experience it for yourself. But we had to move. We had to say goodbye to the season that we were in before, to enter into the new season that God has for us. We had to be open to doing something new because Jesus was calling us. So are we open to doing something new because Jesus is calling us? He says to fish on the right, but we've had a season of fishing on the left. And this is what I'm learning. We never know what is on the other side of our obedience. In this case, the disciples were told they would find fish, but they had no idea it would lead to such an abundant catch. Jesus may call us to change something that seems insignificant to us, but we never know what's on the other side of our obedience. I said yes to the invitation to come to Thailand, and the Lord Lord has just blessed me so much there, and I know that he's got so much more for me there, and even I find myself here with all of you today, I never thought I'd have the opportunity to (laughs) preach in America and, um, yeah, get to travel the world and see all of these things. The Lord has just been so faithful to me. Um, And just what I'm learning more and more is listen to him, listen to his voice, abide in him and his word, and he will make you fruitful. He will put you where you need to be, and he will bless you in that place. So this is my encouragement to you this morning. Jesus wants you to bear much fruit, but it won't happen without intimacy with him. It won't happen without abiding in his word and following his instruction. Will you listen to him? Will you obey his word? Will you live as a living sacrifice and allow him to use you in a mighty way? Where is he calling you to cast your net?